morning is at the end of Luke chapter 2. We're looking at chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. I encourage you to open your Bibles there. If you don't have one, a Bible, you don't have a phone with you that has a Bible, we have a few copies of the, of the English Standard Version on the back table if you'd like to follow along. Luke 2, beginning in verse 39. And when they had performed everything, that is they, that is Mary and Joseph, everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they, were, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him according, among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray as we come to the word together. Father, open your scriptures to us this morning by the power of your spirit. May you be the preacher and teacher here. Morably, may be your voice that we remember. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. And we desperately need your grace. Show us Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, this is an interesting uh, text. Uh, this is almost kind of an interesting date, This how this fell, because I was going through the Advent uh, 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 passages in Luke, and I happened to have this extra Sunday. I didn't know what to do with it. And look, I have this extra passage. I, don't know, I didn't know what to do with it either. Um, if, if you were going to pre preach a, a series on Jesus' boyhood, it would be one sermon long. It would be this one right here. Um, you know, Luke uh, spends quite a bit of time talking about how, how, talking about these miraculous pregnancies and then the birth. And then and Matthew talks about the genealogy of Jesus and talks about how he fulfilled scripture in his birth, but also in his flight to Egypt and, uh, and his uh, flight from... Uh, from um, from um, uh, Herod. Uh, Mark doesn't even talk about Jesus' boyhood, birth at all. He jumps right into his ministry. And John gives us even a different perspective, talks at the, from the beginning, almost, almost an eternal perspective. So each of the, each of the uh, gospel writers uh, kind of does it differently. But this is the only passage I'm aware of in the New Testament that talks about Jesus' boyhood. And when he was 12 years old, now, the, the real, the, some, I just called this sermon 12-year-old Jesus. There was part of me that wanted to call it middle, middle school Messiah uh, or something like that, but I didn't want to uh, cheapen it. Um, and, and especially in Jewish culture, and particularly at this time, the fact that he's 12 is very significant. 
Because at 12 years old, he's on the verge of being, being a man. And even, even today, Jews have that bar mitzvah, right? Uh, celebration for, for boys uh, at age 13. And so Jesus would be expected to kind of follow his father almost in a, very, uh, almost an apprentice kind of way for that, that 12th year. Um, he would be expected to learn uh, his Joseph's, Joseph's trade. He would, he would kind of, Joseph would kind of be, teach him how to become a man, really. And it's really that intensive time that when he was 12. So keep that in mind. We're going we're gonna to look at the scriptures together. What I want to do is look at, I want to go through the story with you first, and then double back and talk about some points of application. So let's look at the beginning and the end of the story, in verses 39 through 40, and then skip over to verse 52. It says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Just, just a reminder how pious, in, in a good way, Mary and Joseph were. They, they, they did everything according to the scriptures. They did everything right. They were the kind of people that you could expect to show up, uh, not just at Christmas and Easter, so to speak, but they, they, would, they, would, they did everything just right according to the law of the Lord. And we see in just a moment how they, they came every year to the Feast of the Passover. This is not a, a rich couple, as, we, as we've discussed. So they went out of their way to make sure uh, that they fulfilled... The, their obligations under the law. And notice it says in verse 40, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. And verse 52 is very similar to that, right? Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. So you have to keep in mind that Jesus grew. He didn't just kind of become, he didn't just suddenly go from being a baby in, in the manger to suddenly a 30-year-old man. He had to grow up. He grew physically, right? He became strong, as, as verse 40 says. Uh, he became a student of God's word. That's the way I interpret it, at least, when it says he was filled with wisdom. And verse 52 increased in wisdom. How did he do that? Well, he was raised by people that loved God's law. I'm sure they discussed the Old Testament with him over and over and over again. And by the way, the, 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 this is a, a natural thing in Scripture. You oftentimes see this, at least in the Scriptures. This, is, this verses 40 and 52 uh, uh, form what's called an inclusio. Okay, the idea, the idea being that it's kind of stop and start very similar Scriptures. And so it's almost like it marks the beginning and the end of the passage. And so Jesus had to grow up. Even though he was, a, he was certainly a child prodigy, which we'll see in just a few minutes. He still had to grow up as a boy into a man. We'll talk a little bit more about what that would be like in just a moment. So that's the beginning and the end of the story. Let's look at misplacing the Messiah. See, I knew some alliteration would come. Misplacing the Messiah, verses 41 through 45. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. It doesn't mean, by the way, Jesus went up, there, went up with them every time. We don't know if he did or not, but we know this time he did. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And as it goes on to say, they found him in the temple. Jesus went up there, especially, again, being 12 years old on the cusp of manhood, this would have been a very important time for him to go. Uh, to follow Joseph, at least that's what Joseph and Mary were thinking. It says he stayed behind. 
Now, there's so much we don't know. Uh, how did he do that? <laughs> and, and I think culturally, I think for us, for most of us, we're thinking, how could you let your child be by himself in this place? Right? We, if we're not helicopter parents, I think a lot of us, we tend to, we tend to be close to that. Maybe drone parents, is that, maybe if that's the term. But it was a different culture. I mean, they, they traveled in a large group. Uh, it says, you know, it says they were, they were uh, traveling in, in this family group in, in verse 44. It probably consisted of three or four generations. So you had grandparents and great-grandparents and grandchildren and aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews. It, you know, imagine traveling in that, in that group in your station wagon back in the day. Um, but they, so, so certainly they probably thought, oh, Jesus is with his cousin John or his cousin James or whatever. And so it took them a day to realize that he, wasn't, that he was not with them. And then it took them two more days, right? They, they traveled one day, they came back to Jerusalem, and the third day is when they found him. So they've misplaced their son. And when there's so much we don't know what happened. Where did Jesus stay in those days? Who did he go home with? He must have went home with somebody. Um, and we'll talk about the teachers here in just a minute. But there's so much we don't know. But they misplaced the Messiah. Thankfully, he was, he was not lost because he was found in his father's house, verses 46 through 51. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And by the way, I want to point out that I've, I used to read this as the idea that Jesus was sitting there learning from them. And he, perhaps he was. But he was giving as good as he got. Notice it says, they were sitting among the teachers, not the pupils. He was listening to them, asking them questions. And it was kind of that, that kind of method, that, that back and forth method, uh, Socratic method perhaps, if you want to use that term. Um, so they were astonished, not just by his, under, it says in verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So it wasn't just the fact he was asking them questions to learn. He was giving the answers. And so people were amazed and astonished. They couldn't believe it. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So who are the teachers? That's another question I have. Who are the teachers he interacted with? Age-wise, it could have worked out that Nicodemus might have been one of those teachers. You know, one of the Pharisees that came to, to Jesus at night in, John, in the Gospel of John. How about Gamaliel would also have been, that was Paul's teacher, the Apostle Paul's teacher uh, that was sp spoken of very highly in the book of Acts. You wonder perhaps if these teachers saw him 20 years later and remembered who he was. And it's interesting that Mary and Joseph are astonished too, isn't it? I mean, you would think they would know. I mean, this is what we expected, right? But he grew up in normal fashion as far as we can tell. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like Jesus is Clark Kent somehow. You know, uh, how, how, uh, how, how Clark Kent's parents didn't realize he was really Superman until when he had lifted a car over somebody or something like that. You know, I, don't, I don't know if you, if, you, if you remember the story or the movie. Um, I think sometimes we, we, we tend to treat Jesus like that, but he was not a superhero. 
He grew up in a normal fashion as far as we can tell. And so Mary and Joseph must have needed a reminder from time to time that their son, raised under their roof, was really the son of God and the promised Messiah. And this certainly was one of those times. They were astonished, I think, not only at his answers and his understanding, they were astonished at his independence and that, they, that he had worried them. And so their astonishment turns quickly to the voicing of their anxiety. Why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. In other words, this temple stuff is all in good, but don't do this to us. Don't do this to us again. Jesus' reply is a mild rebuke, isn't it? Why were you looking for me? I don't think he meant, why, why were you looking for me at all? Why, you should have known I'd be here in the temple, he's saying. I must be in my father's house. He didn't say, gosh, I was really wanting to spend some time in the temple. He said, I must be in my father's house. Or another translation, I must be about my father's business. Jesus' words remind Mary and us. I'm sorry, I ran out. I'm in the wrong order. <laughs> sorry. Jesus' words remind Mary and us, uh, the, us the readers, that he is the son of God himself. In contrast to Joseph, his adopted father, Right? Notice the contrast in verse 48. Your father and I have been looking for you, searching for you. 49, Jesus says, I'm in my father's house. With all due respect to Joseph, he's my adopted father. But this is, I'm the son of God. This is where I belong. No regular Jew would call God his father. And yet Jesus does. They didn't get it. This is verse 50. They didn't understand. They were ignorant. Their ignorance, however, does not stop Jesus from being submissive to them. That's a great lesson for, the, for, for those of you who are a little bit younger. Um, your parents are going to do things sometimes uh, that, that, that are going to bother you, uh, that you're going to disagree with. But the right thing to do is, be, is to be submissive to them. And once again, notice Mary takes this time to treasure these things in her heart, just as she did earlier, right after, after the time of the shepherds and the angels. She makes a memory, that's, as my, as my uh, father-in-law used to tell Carrie when she was a little girl, make a memory. And my wife can tell you all sorts of things from her childhood because she did make a memory. So that's kind of the way Jesus, I think, or Mary, I think, takes, takes opportunity to do that. So now let's go over a few points of application since we've gone over the story. I want to remind you that Jesus took the time to learn the scriptures. But see how he did so. He took the time to learn the Old Testament, likely from his devoted parents. It's a reminder to us that it's important for us to learn the scriptures. But, but so I think some of, some of us, I think, just major on having a quiet time, as we call it, a time of personal devotions, which we certainly should do. Uh, and probably many of you are, are looking forward to restarting that in the upcoming year or, or, or reinvigorating your, your quiet time or your devotional time. But also remember that there's real value in learning the scriptures as a family. There's a, uh, there's a great quote. I can't remember which covenant seminary professor says it, but he often tells his students, never stop restarting family devotions. Never stop restarting family devotions. Because it's hard to keep it going, right? It's, sometimes it's hard for all of us to get together at the same table for a meal, much less have a discussion about the scriptures or about Christ or anything else. But notice that Jesus is so well-armed with the Old Testament. And again, remember, he didn't download this as like a, on a computer. You know, he didn't plug into God somehow just because he's the son of God. He had to grow up and learn just like everyone else. 
And so he knew the scripture so well, he was able to, 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 to debate uh, related doctrines with the doctors of the law. And so Jesus learned in community, both in his family and then also here at the temple. And all this study and discussion led to something greater. He called God his father. He called God his father. So he learned the scriptures on his own. He learned about them in community. And then to the greater end, of course, he learned to know God more and more. It's really a great uh, idea for us in this upcoming year to, to, to devote ourselves to reading the scriptures, just discussing it with your community, whether it's your family, whether it's a small group, perhaps a Bible study. We have men's groups. We have a, a women's fellowship group. We have uh, two different uh, small group studies that are going on right now. All these things should lead to greater intimacy with God. That's, that's the goal. The goal is not uh, to become a 10-point Calvinist. The goal is not to be more reformed than the, than the uh, next person. Um, the goal is to learn more about God and then to know him better. So when you call him Father, it really is meaningful. Jesus took the time to learn the scriptures, and so should we. Jesus is not just fully God. Here's my second point. He's not just fully God. He is fully man, too, as we talked about from the Westminster Shore Catechism earlier in the service. I just want to remind you of what 1 Timothy 2.5 says. Paul writes, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man. And because of that, we needed, we needed to have someone who was both God and man to stand between God and us, right, to make peace. And as great as Jesus was, for all the miracles and the teachings, for his death and resurrection, he would not have been qualified to be our Savior and Lord without his full humanity. Did you hear that? He would not have been qualified. He had to be a man, fully man and fully God. Again, I think we struggle with this concept of, his, of Jesus' humanity. Away in the manger, right? It's a great example, right? You, 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 know, you know the stanza? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Why would the writer think that Jesus would never cry? Perhaps he thought that crying is a sin? Uh, I don't think so. Um, it was, it was, it, it, it's, a baby cries because he wants to be changed, or he's hungry or wants to be held. Jesus needed all those things, right? Jesus was not some legend or some superhero. He's not some sort of Greek god. He was sinless, but I'm sure he cried. He laughed. He had to relieve himself, right? He took baths. He got dirty. He played with his friends. He was hungry and thirsty. And Luke 2 reminds us that he had to grow as a boy into a man. I'm a huge Rich Mullins fan. I know I'm not the only one in this room that is. Rich Mullins was a Christian songwriter, died almost 30 years ago now. Um, and it, he, he wrote a song called Boy Like Me, Man Like You. I want to read just a few of the lyrics from that. Again, Mullins writes, when I was 12 years old in the meeting house, I listened to the old men pray. Well, I was trying hard to figure out what it was they were trying to say. There you were in the temple. They said you weren't, enough, weren't old enough to know the things you knew. Well, did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? Did you ever wonder what it was that made them laugh? And did they tell you stories about the saints of old? Stories about their faith? 
They say stories like that make a boy grow bold. Stories like that make a, like that make a man make a man walk straight. Yes, Jesus had to be fully man to be our mediator and to be our high priest. That's why we can agree with the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's, 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 the, that's the fully man part. How can we have possibly have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who's been tempted but yet without sin, and not be, not be fully man? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Dear friends, never doubt the manhood of Jesus. Yes, he was fully God. But he was fully man too, 100% both. Not 50-50, not... Three quarters God, one quarter man. We needed a mediator who was fully man. Don't ever forget that Jesus was that. And then finally, Jesus is a, is a disruptive force. He's a, he's a disruptor. He had to be in his father's house, he says. Why then? Why, why at 12 did he pick that, that time and not earlier or later? Poor Mary and Joseph, they didn't understand this. They couldn't understand Jesus. Who can, at least fully? And if we're, we're being honest, can we really fully understand everything that Jesus ever taught? And everything, he, how he ever leads us? If he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if he is completely sovereign over all things, which, which I hope that you believe he is, then how can any of us truly understand our great Savior? We can describe him, but can we really understand him? Right? Perhaps being his disciple is more about trusting him than comprehending him. Let's face it, if God did everything we expected and never surprised us or even disappointed us, are we really worshiping the one true God? Rich Mullins, again, I just not a Rich Mullins kick. I promise I will, this is the last sermon this year that I'll do that. I'll do this in. But Rich Mullins, again, wrote another song called Hard to Get. It's a great description of how he looked at, at Jesus. He says, I know you bore our sorrows, I know you feel our pain. I know that it would not hurt any less, even, even if it could be explained. I know that I'm only lashing out at the one who loves me most. And after I have figured this out somehow, what I really, really need to know is if you who live in eternity hear the prayers of those of us who live in time. We can't see what it's ahead, and we cannot get free from what we left behind. I'm reeling from these voices that keep screaming in my ears. All these words of shame and doubt blame and regret. I can't see how you're leading me unless you've led me here to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. And so you've been here all along, I guess. It's just your ways. You're just plain hard to get. That phrase, to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led, really speaks to me. Because I do not like admitting that I am lost. I do not like be, admitting that I need to be led. And even when people lead me, I, I'm helping, <laughs> right? If, if I, if it's, it's like the, it's, it's a classic road trip. Some of you can sleep at the drop of a hat on a road trip. I can't do that. You know why? Because I've got to be the one that's responsible. I'm checking the map. I'm checking the driver, making sure he's, he or she is awake. 
I'm asking questions about how fast are we going? What's the speed limit? What's going on? Because I like the semblance of control. I can't see how you're leading me unless you've led me here to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. Maybe that should be our resolution for the upcoming year. To admit we are more lost than we care to admit. Maybe then we won't mind being led by our Savior. Maybe then we, won't, we will take time to treasure this journey and ponder the greatness of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, Jesus was a man. He came to live and die for you and me. He was also God. And by doing so, he grants us his forgiveness. May, tho- may those words, may the sweetness of, of Christ, even in his mysterious ways, be on your lips and on your heart, not just today, but in the upcoming year. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for sending your son to be our mediator, to be our high priest. And Lord, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that struggles to admit that he is lost without you. So Lord, bring us to places, even uncomfortable places. Disrupt our lives. We invite you to do so. Because we know, Lord, that you, in your disruptions, you shape our lives for your glory and for our good. Lord, do so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.